The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome, everybody, to Power Lunch. I'm Tyler Matheson. Along today with Seema Modi, here's what we got for you this hour. Central banks around the world are hiking rates, uh, virtually all of them. Uh, global inflation fight is moving yields higher, presenting investors now with new opportunities in fixed income and challenges across the book. We've got your playbook. Plus, the Main Street economy. We'll talk to the CEO of Valley National Bank. Uh, to tell us what rising rates are doing to small business and consumer lending and how that is changing the outlook for the economy. Seema. Tyler, there are 121 new lows on the S&P 500. That is nearly a quarter of the index. A quick market check, the Dow Industrials fighting to get into positive territory at the lows it was down 189 points. It's currently off by four. S&P 500 lower by a half a percentage point. And the Nasdaq composite, the underperformer here, down over 1%. Now, speaking of the Nasdaq, the chip stocks are getting hit hard at this hour. Take a look at Advanced Microsystems. NVIDIA on semiconductor down nearly 4 to 5%. We do have an outperformer here, one in my world, Royal Caribbean, higher after tapping the bond market to refinance debt. In a filing, the company says bookings are significantly outpacing 2019 levels, stock up 1.2%. Tyler? All right, Seema. The yeah, Fed, of course, leading the fight against inflation, but it is far from the only central bank that is doing so. It's become a global battle, by the way. The Fed, of course, hiking interest rates by three-quarters of a point yesterday. That's the third time it has done that this year. It's almost unprecedented. I don't remember ever uh, having three hikes of that scale uh, so quick in succession. Then overnight, the Bank of England uh, said, OK, we'll raise two, but by only a half point for the second straight month, uh, despite saying the U.K. may already be in a recession. Not usually the tonic you want uh, higher rates if your country's in recession. Swiss Central Bank, three quarters of a point, bringing them out of negative ter territory. Norway, where my forebears come from, a half a point there. And in Asia, Indonesia's Central Bank hiked interest rates by a half point. That was more than expected. All of this playing out in the bond market with yields across the board rising. The two-year around 4.1%, uh, and Rick Santelli is at the CME. What is the market telling you, Rick, as a seasoned observer? It's telling me that the equity markets better be careful because the big guns are out and it isn't only in the U.S. that interest rates are moving higher and spreads are getting wider. It is, as you pointed out, a global event. I mean, Sweden and Vietnam did 100 basis points. Now, let's look at a one week of two year. Its high watermark today was 4.16%. It's had, what, 11 days in a row of higher yields, and it's had a 15-year high, as you see on that one-week chart. If we move to an intraday of 10s, it had a high of 3.71% uh, today. It's currently trading around 369, and that's up almost 16 base points. These numbers are huge. And if you look overseas, Bank of England, as we discussed, raising rates as well, 50 basis points. Well, let's look at what happened to the guild. This chart starts on August 1st. The guild today closed a whisker under 3.5%, a fresh 11.5-year 
high yield close. And just for the month of August, it basically went from 180 to 350. That is huge. Boons, well, the ECB, we know, is continuing to try to snug up, but they have a variety of issues with their weaker economies. Nonetheless, Boon yields close at a nine-year fresh high, just a whisker under 2%. And finally, all of this and all of the recession talk, you mentioned the U.K., Tyler, but there's going to be more. It's making the dollar and our central bank king of the globe as the dollar is nearing in on near 20 and a half year highs. It's on pace to close at the best level since May of 2002. Back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Rick Santelli. So as yields climb, are fixed income investments now becoming more attractive as an alternative to stocks? Our next guest says yes, but investors will need to be nimble. Let's bring in Joanna Gallegos. She is the uh, co-founder of Bond Blocks Investment Management. Joanna, welcome. Good to have you with us. Uh, you say in, in the note I was given, fixed income markets are beginning to look like a place for positive returns and yields. This is after a long period where many investors regarded bonds, as at least treasuries, as fundamentally uninvestable. The, 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 the turn has taken place here. If I buy your thesis, where in the fixed income world should I invest? Is it T-bills, munis, junk, what? Yeah, we think that um, actually the short end of the curve is really interesting right now. And I think a very intuitive thing to do is, is to look at treasury exposure. Um, if, if, if for anything, just getting yield on your, your cash again is, is important. And I think what we would, would say going forward in um, broader fixed income portfolios is, you know, we've come off, you know, uh, yields a little bit over zero going up to four with just in with this year. Yeah. And so we see that the fixed income markets are structurally changing. So even if you're not ready to get into credit, you might start considering that there's some really important entry points because fixed, fixed income is structurally different now and will be for the foreseeable future. So you'll be getting a lot more um, yield in your total return. You'll be getting diversification back in your portfolio and with potentially upcoming economic downturn, that's just something that hasn't been the case uh, in the last right. 10 years. Just, just as it's difficult to tell equity investors to invest into a falling market, it has to be difficult to tell bond investors today uh, that, hey, we're getting to a point where bonds are really investable again after the kind of year that bond investors have had on a total return basis. Their yields are up, but their, uh, uh, their value of their bonds or bond fund shares have gone down. Yeah, I think that, you know, this year has been a, a really painful year across the board in the equity portion of your portfolio or the, the fixed income portion of portfolio. But we now are getting to levels. We, we have clear conviction and action by the Fed. It's it's kind of irrefutable and investors should have no further doubt that the Fed's going to continue to be aggressive about additional rate hikes. But we like to say at Bond Blocks is you should be getting into the market differently than you have before. And so you'll need more tools that are more precise to manage those risks. Um, duration is really um, a key um, factor that every fixed income investor has to deal with every day. So interest rates are rising. You need you need the tools to do that. And that's why we like um, you know more precise treasury tools to, to affect that, that exposure. Joanna, what do you make of the sell-off in the U.S. junk bond market, the high yield market? I know you've been studying the balance sheets of a lot of these companies that are quote unquote risky, uh, but where do you see the prospect of, of defaults in the coming months, if any? I, I would say that, you know, there is there has been a 
clients that we've been working with, there have been a lot of discussions about staying in high yield, but shaping your portfolio to higher quality high yield. A lot of interest in our um, XBB product, which is a portfolio of higher quality, higher quality um, high yield um, bonds. And I think that that's more what we're hearing about versus the, the default is, okay, I, I, I may believe that that's coming, but what can I do today? What's actionable today to anticipate that and transition my portfolio into higher quality? So it's J-U-N-Q-U-E as opposed to J-U-N-K. I mean, a little fancier, a little tonier form of it. You said a moment ago, and it was intriguing, you said that, that you need to be, I, I forget what, you, what, the, what the word was, more precision, more precise in, your, in the ways you invest today than you might ordinarily have been, and that you need more precise tools. What are those tools? What are you talking about? Yeah, BondBlocks was founded um, to focus on delivering more precise exposure and fixed income to investors. We're an ETF company. We've launched 19 products to date, and they really update the broad-based blunt tools that have been in the market for over 15 years. So in high yield, for example, we have seven sector funds. You know, you now can, you know, reduce volatility in your portfolio by adding as much energy as you want or as much healthcare as you want. Um, we've just launched eight duration tar targeted treasury ETFs, which haven't existed before. And those address a lot of the duration drift, the, the interest rate and duration drift that you're getting in a maturity-based ETF. So things that can, you can do today with new products that you couldn't do before is where we are focusing. Um, and I think with yields increasing and people wanting to be more specific about how they build their portfolios, um, that was what our aim was with our product line. All right, Joanna Gallegos, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. While some investors may be looking at bonds, our next guest still expects a strong finish to the year for stocks led by consumer discretionary and technology. Here to explain is Kevin Mann, the president and CIO of Henian and Walsh Asset Management. Kevin, thank you for joining us. You just heard Joanna there making the case for bonds, the two-year above 4%. You can certainly get yield in the bond market. So tell us why stocks are a better idea right now for investors. Sure, Seema. We see two particular tailwinds lifting stock prices higher by the end of the fourth quarter of this year. First, we believe that the Fed will, in fact, turn less hawkish, not dovish, certainly not dovish, but less hawkish in November and December, perhaps raising by only 50 basis points in November and only 25 basis points in December. If they do, that would signal to the market that perhaps we pass peak hawkishness and also hit peak inflation, given that the Fed wouldn't cut back on the magnitude of their rate hikes unless inflation was starting to moderate. If, in fact, that occurs, we anticipate more money coming back off the sideline and starting to go into those areas of the stock market that have been beaten up the most thus far this year in 2022. Kevin, what gives you confidence that the Fed will be less hawkish? Because the, the takeaway from the press conference with Jay Powell yesterday was that uh, the concept of pain, he, stre he certainly stressed that point, that it will be painful for investors and households uh, as he tries to tackle inflation. My confidence in this outlook is my lack of confidence in the Federal Reserve. Think back to earlier this year when they suggested that inflation was transitory. It certainly has not. Think back to May when they told us that no rate hikes above 50 basis points were under consideration. Well, guess what? We've now had three consecutive rate hikes of 75 basis points each. They told us that they were going to raise rates on a gradual basis. That certainly has not been the case this year. So why would we now start to believe 
that they're going to follow the script that they suggested yesterday. I do believe they're trying to talk down inflation in addition to raising short-term rates and influencing longer-term rates by reducing the size of their balance sheet. But again, the economy continues to slow. We've met the technical definition of recession. And how much further can the Fed go without risking pushing the economy into a deeper and more severe recession than would have otherwise occurred on its own scene? I think you just answered my question, Kevin, where you said uh, my confidence comes from the fact that I have a lack of confidence in the Fed. Uh, because I was going to ask you, I don't think you and I were watching the same program yesterday. <laughs> uh, because I sure didn't hear any any uh, wiggle room there, uh, or, or maybe we weren't watching the same, maybe we were smoking something different. I don't know what it was, but, but, but at any rate. I don't smoke. <laughs> yeah, neither do I. But uh, uh, no, now I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm without words. Uh, but at any rate, uh, so if you're right, if you're right, where are the early opportunities going to be in the equity markets? Great question, Tyler. And remember, the other tailwind that we see taking place in November are midterm elections. Historically, stocks have risen, on average, roughly 16% in the 12 months following midterm elections. We also know, Tyler, that generally stocks do better when we have a divided government. And if, in fact, the polls hold true, it looks as though we may have a divided government after the midterm elections. Fed turns less hawkish after the midterm election results. We think areas such as technology and consumer discretionary, notably e-commerce, are going to stand to experience the greatest rebound given the extent of the pullback they've received thus far. Stocks such as Amazon or even ACI Worldwide on the technology front. If you're not familiar with ACI Worldwide, they provide the technology that supports real-time digital payments and credit card processing. Amazon fits into that same thesis as Amazon will take advantage of the rebound in e-commerce activity, as we expect another record holiday shopping season, despite these recessionary environment that we're currently operating. And finally, we like CBS Healthcare in this environment, Tyler. They mm -hmm. pay a good dividend around 2.2% yield, and their recent acquisition of Signify, we think is going to help take them into the home healthcare in addition to what they provide already in their stores. Kevin Mon, a non-smoker. Thank you. <laughs> we yes, appreciate sir. it. Good to see you. Take care. All right, coming up, how inflation is changing the holiday shopping season and what Walmart and Target's strategies say about the economy and the health of the retail sector. Plus, are small business owners struggling under the weight of rising interest rates? We'll talk to the CEO of Valley National Bank, who will give us a bird's eye view from Main Street. But first, a look at shares of Eli Lilly. I almost said Eli Manning. Eli Lilly outperforming the market. After UBS upgraded the stock to buy the firm calling Lilly's weight loss drug potentially the biggest ever, with an estimated sales potential of $25 billion. I see what you did there. Bigger. 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 Weightier. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. 
Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. Welcome back to Power Lunch. Inflation is making the upcoming holiday season a bit trickier for retailers. This year, Walmart says it will hire 40,000 workers, a big decrease from the 150,000 workers it hired last year. Target instead is hiring the same number of workers as last year, 100,000, but it's offering holiday deals and promotions a little bit earlier. Here to discuss what this says about the consumer, retailers, and the economy is Jen Niffen, CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide. Jen, good to see you. Good to see you. Is it inevitable that we will see a slowdown in retail hiring this holiday season, or will it be more selective? Uh, department stores versus e-commerce, uh, retailers operating or servicing the low-income consumer versus luxury. What do you expect to, to see? It's already selective. You saw what FedEx said about what they were going to do. We know they've got their own problems to deal with. UPS acts like it's going to be about like last year. Target said the same thing, same as last year. And Walmart's in a different spot, right? They hired 150,000 people last year, but they kept a whole lot of them on staff. And they're adding a lot of, they're giving those people extra hours this year rather than hiring more people. And they've also become more efficient. So I'm not sure what they're telling us means anything other than what they've told us all along is that they see a pretty good back to school and they see a solid holiday. And I don't think they've changed their view on that. And most retailers saw a solid back to school. And most retailers through yesterday will tell you sales were okay. What they're worried about is that they might not still be okay, given a 75 basis point increase today, and all the things or yesterday and all the things we've seen going into the consumer with what 8% inflation, maybe something maybe that high coming through the back half. And so they're worried about it, but they're not seeing their customer walk away yet. So as long as the demand story remains strong, hiring shouldn't be affected as much as perhaps some people are expecting. Which companies, though, could be next to, to warn? Based on their balance sheets, based on what we heard over the last couple of weeks during earnings season, which could be the next, next retailers, the next shoe to drop? Well, there's already been a lot of shoes dropped, right? Kohl's had real problems. Gap's had real problems in their reporting. But we've seen, you know, really good numbers out of people like Tapestry and Capri and Macy's has been pretty good. We haven't seen those change. So when you look at those stronger, more aspirational businesses, they're doing well. We saw really bad numbers out of both Target and Walmart, but we know they're straightening out their problems and they're going to have a better back end than they had front end in both cases. So, yes, it's tough if you're dealing with the lower end, but I still expect Dollar General to do do pretty well. I expect TJX and Burlington to do pretty well on the trade down. I expect Macy's to do well because they're on the back to, back to gift place, right? We're going to see better gift giving this year than we've probably seen in three years because the consumers out there saying, wow, COVID's finally over maybe. Maybe I should go back to normal. And we know that they're attracted to gifts right now. So I see that as being pretty strong. And then when we get to those more aspirational ones that I named, I think we'll see good numbers out of them too. I didn't mention, I think Nike will be good. I still think that Boot Barn and Levi's will be good because the Western craze is still in and they've got a reasonably affluent customer. So I think the upper end will do well and the lower end will struggle some because of trade, you know, the, the trade down in what people can afford to buy because they have to spend so much on food. But at least gas has come off of the $5 a gallon 
Mark. Mm-hmm. You know, we had the FANG stocks, but I love your uh, uh, confection here. The watch stocks, Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot. Pretty much no matter where the customer is, they have won the game, you say. So that would be a good place. If, if I were trying to build my own retail ETF, it might be wise to just own those five, right? Well, I confess that was Jim Cramer's numbers that came out on watch. He's the one that created that. I adopted it because I liked it so much and I believe in it so much. But yes, absolutely. You can own those five for the rest of your life and be happy. They have won the game, right? They were essential. They got to stay in business. They reinvested in the business during COVID. They took market share and they're not going to give it back. So when we come out the other side of this, whatever this is that we're going through with the Fed and inflation, Mm -hmm. these will still be the five big winners. I will believe that. And I'm going to be with that for a long time unless something dramatic happens. All right, Jan. Thanks very much, Jan Niffen. We appreciate your time, as always. Up next, the the 30-year fixed mortgage spiking after yesterday's Fed decision. That number is next. Plus, further ahead, new reports the SEC will not ban payment for order flow, a crucial yet controversial part of Robin Hood's business. And don't forget, CNBC's delivering Alpha returns in person on September 28th. The world's top investors will discuss risk, opportunity, and navigating the new market dynamic. Lots to talk about there. You can scan that QR code that you see on your screen or go to cnbcevents.com to register. We'd love to have you join us. It's, I think, a week from yesterday. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Power Lunch, everybody. Big direct reaction to the Fed's rate hike yesterday. Diana Olick has the latest mortgage numbers. Hi, Di. Hey, Ty. Yeah, the average rate on the 30-year fix just took another big leap today, jumping 26 basis points to 6.62%. That, according to Mortgage News Daily, whose COO Matt Graham told me the Fed only amplified the message of faster rate hikes and Powell's press conference did nothing to soften it. Shorter-term rates got hit hard yesterday. Longer-term rates are getting caught up today. Mortgage rates loosely follow the 10-year Treasury yield. Now, just to put that into perspective, if you're buying a $400,000 home with 20% down, your monthly payment is now $320 more than it was just at the start of August and $700 more than it was at the start of this year. Not great news for anybody out shopping for a house this weekend, Tyler. That's right, Diana. Diana Olick, thank you, I think. All right, let's get to uh, Leslie Picker now for a CNBC News update. Hi, Leslie. Hey, Tyler. Thank you. And here's your CNBC News update at this hour. A new report today says that unemployment fraud during the COVID pandemic may have resulted in over $45 billion in losses. This is roughly three times the previous estimate. The Labor Department says that more coordination is needed to investigate and charge those responsible. Tesla is recalling more than 1 million vehicles over an issue with the automatic windows not responding correctly after detecting an obstruction. The electric vehicle manufacturer says the issue affects five years of Model 3 cars and a few Model Y, S, 
and X vehicles. Tesla said it is issuing a software update for the problem and that no injuries have been reported. And as you guys were just discussing, Target and Walmart have announced their hiring plans for the holiday season. Target is planning to hire up to 100,000 seasonal workers, about the same number as last year. Walmart expects to hire 40,000 seasonal employees, which is down from last year. Retailers are still recovering from a year of excess inventory and markdowns. And I can't believe we're already talking about holiday season, but I guess it is now officially fall, guys. Yeah, not too far away. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. Coming up, breaking down the rate ripple effects, the Fed decision having an impact across stocks, industries, and entire nations. First, we'll take a look at what it could mean for regional banks. Will small businesses slow their borrowing? The Valley Bank CEO weighs in. Plus, the dollar getting stronger, wreaking havoc on global and emerging markets. Finally, growth stocks hit hard by those rising rates. And investors like Kathy Wood aren't that happy. We'll hit all that when Power Lunch returns. Welcome back, everybody. We've got 90 minutes left in the trading day. I want to get you caught up on the market, stocks, bonds, commodities. And a bank CEO, CEO will tell us what he's seeing in the economy from his perch on Main Street. Let's begin with Bob Pisani as stocks continue to slide following yesterday's rate decision. Bob. And Tyler, the S&P is underperforming the Dow because tech stocks, heavy weighting in the S&P, are down more, almost 1.3%. Bank stocks down one and a half percent. There you see the S&P 500. I'm just bringing it up because we're, oh, a little less than 90 points away from the June 16th low. Remember that number, 3666. That's quarter of the benchmark everybody's using, whether we break through that uh, or not. What we are definitely doing is seeing a dramatic expansion uh, of new lows, more than 600 on the NYSE. That's almost 30 percent of the NYSE, maybe 700 or so uh, on the NASDAQ. Uh, that's pretty simple. Significant, considering big names here. Look at this Alphabet, Meta, Microsoft, Intel, all of them at 52-week lows. And even on the Dow, uh, we see some big Dow names, new lows, non-tech names. 3M, for example, Nike ahead of its earnings next week, Visa, 3M, all. Again, 52-week lows. This list is getting pretty big here. Even the transports, and, I, and obviously Nike, uh, excuse me, obviously FedEx has been a new low for a while now. It's bouncing today. But uh, JetBlue. Southwest Air, Matson, and uh, some of the logistics companies, also uh, new lows. So, Tyler, I keep an eye on all of that. Uh, this is what people are concerned with as we slowly get uh, to the idea that we're going to have to take down earnings estimates a little more uh, for the fourth quarter. Uh, a lot of these companies are now sitting right at the precipice uh, of, of, of notable 52-week lows, and in several cases, two-year lows. Tyler, back to That's you. It's interesting, Bob. It's tech, but it's not just tech. There are a lot of uh, sectors right. that are being hit here. Bob Pisani, thanks. Uh, let's go to the bond market, shall we? Yields continuing to move higher. The two-year yield soaring to a high of 4.14 percent. Uh, there you see it, 4.11 right now, 4.11. Get the information. There's the 10-year at 3.7, let's call it. Uh, the spread uh, has also jumped to now sitting just below uh, 3.7, There's the, that's the 10-year, right at 3.7 right now. A lot of people view short-term rates higher than long-term rates as a recession indicator. Now let's move forward and check on oil, higher today by less than 1% after falling yesterday after the Fed decision. Uh, at least for today, it seems like the market is fearing supply disruptions more than demand destruction. There you see uh, West Texas crude up 50 cents uh, at 83.44. 
Well, rising rates uh, rippling through the banking sector, and that is having an impact on small business, their willingness to uh, borrow and uh, seek loans. Joining us with a look at the lending landscape is Ira Robbins, Valley Bank chairman and CEO. Ira, welcome back. Good to have you with us. Let me turn to you and ask you something that may be a little bit out of left field. I'm going to get to the business question in just a moment. Have you started raising your rates on deposits? We, we've had to. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I think there's been a significant outflow of deposits in the, in the banking sector. And there's still been strong demand in the banking environment as well. And, and as a result, to make sure that we have enough funding sources, uh, we have had to begin to raise rates, although still at a lagging pace to where the market's gone and what we're able to charge on the asset side. So let's talk a little bit. That's an interesting answer. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, about what you're seeing from business borrowers. Uh, are they pulling back? How are they reacting if they have um, new loans, uh, roll, loans that they need to roll over? How are they reacting to the idea that they're going to have to pay more for their money? No one's happy about it. So yeah. our, our, our bankers have had to have a lot of difficult conversations with many of our borrowers. Uh, many projects that were assessed were done in different economic times. Debt service coverage ratios look very different today than what they did even six to seven months ago. I think what we're seeing is a lot of uncertainty across the entire space, whether it's with interest rates from a global perspective, what's happening in Ukraine, from a supply chain perspective still. And as a result, uncertainty leads to a lack of commitment when it comes to CapEx. And we're seeing that today. The Fed fund projections rate uh, estimates a 4% rate by the end of this year. For small businesses, Ira, could we reach a level or a point at which these small business owners are not able to cover the cost uh, to service their debt. I think if you look at one side of the ledger, uh, you know, expenses uh, have upward mobility as long as revenues go up. Uh, they still continue to see the ability based on inflation to pass along many of these expenses. Uh, until that really begins to change, uh, the interest rate environment is still okay for some of these small businesses. Credit card debt has risen. That was the message from American Express last week. They also said, as you pointed out, spending is also up. Uh, so what level does it need to reach before this becomes a bigger concern for markets, credit card debt? Yeah, I, I think looking at one side of the balance sheet in, in isolation is really going to confuse a lot of people as to how they think about the projections of the economy. You know, I think about what's going on in the interest rate environment today. We have 100,000 economists and 200,000 opinions as to what's going to happen. Each of those opinions are really based off of what indicators you're looking at from an economic perspective. If you're looking at corporate profits and unemployment, one could argue that the Fed still needs to be more aggressive in raising rates. If you're looking at housing, there's an absolute slowdown. And one could argue that the Fed has been overly aggressive and needs to slow down what their policy looks like. You know, to me, there's a couple underlying factors that really have driven inflation over the last few years. Uh, one is the massive fiscal stimulus that our government has put out there, the accommodative monetary policy, the uncertainty with regard to Ukraine supply chain. And there's a third one with regard to the environment and climate. And until we have a better understanding about what the impact is on those variables that are really driven inflation, it's hard to really say whether the Fed's overdone it or not. Let me let me ask you, because you just said something a, a moment ago that was very interesting. And you said that businesses are having to look or take a second look at the financing of projects and that you, you're seeing some capital expenditure uh, outlays going down. What does that tell you about what's going to happen or is happening in the broader economy? Are you seeing a slowing economy? Without question. I mean, I think I'd have to have my head in the sand to sit there and say <laughs> we're not going to recession. 
uh, things are definitely beginning to slow. I think the challenging go- really point goes back to looking at the unemployment number. Wage inflation is still significant and corporate profits are still very, very strong today. But we have to keep in mind that those are lagging indicators. And as a result of those being lagging indicators, things can still seem really good for a lot of people. But from a long-term perspective, it's insane to think that the government could put that much money out there from a supply side perspective and not have inflation and what that implications are going to look like. Yeah. Very quickly, I don't know how much of your business is in the mortgage area, but what are you seeing there in terms of applications and, and people coming in to get loans? Yeah, so we have about 20% of our business. Uh, we have a portfolio that's over $4 billion today. A large amount of it's in Florida as well as in the Northeast. Our activities uh, down about 35% from where it was. Refinance activity has basically stopped across all segments of, of the footprint. Uh, you know, for us, uh, last year, our conforming residential mortgage rate was two and seven eighths. Yeah. Uh, today, sitting at six and a quarter and likely to, to, to go up a, a little bit further. So the implications to those purchasing homes is going to be significant and continues to be significant. Ira, we love having you on because you answer the questions. You're very direct. We thank you. Ira Robbins, thank Valley. You. Thank you. Ahead on the show, King Dollar's reign. The Fed's rate hikes only fueling the dollar's dominance over other foreign currencies. So what does this mean for investing around the globe? Before the break, we're celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month here on CNBC. Let's listen in to President and CEO of the Hispanic Association on Corporate Responsibility, Sid Wilson. We know that corporate America has a lot of work to do to make sure that we are fully inclusive of Latinos, particularly uh, on corporate boards, in the C-suites, as well as that pipeline development uh, for making sure that Latinos are included, especially for Latinas. Latinas by themselves um, would be a G20 country if you just took Latina GDP alone. And together, um, all of us, uh, allies, as well as those of us within our community can continue to be that positive force that America needs. Hey, welcome back to Power Lunch. Steve Kovac here with the Market Flash for you. FedEx has released their earnings earlier than expected. We're expecting them after the bell. Uh, looks like shares are up about 2% here, mostly on this new headline. We got most of these results early, but a new headline saying 2023 will consist of $350 million to $500 million in cost savings. That seems to be what uh, shares are reacting to. Uh, we will uh, expect to get a call or earnings call from FedEx after the bell today, where we'll get some more details on their support. But for now, I'll send it back to Tyler and Seema. Yeah, we'll be waiting for those comments from CEO Raj Subramaniam. Uh, stock up right now, but still down about 26% this month. Uh, let's pivot here. The Fed's rate hikes are spelling trouble for Asian economies and broader emerging markets. Japan overnight intervening in the Forex market to defend the yen. Many countries now looking to China for support. The Wisdom Tree Emerging Market ETF has seen $2 billion in outflows over the past four weeks. What does this all mean for U.S. investors? Let's bring in Jeremy Schwartz, Managing Director with Wisdom Tree Asset Management. Jeremy, appreciate you joining us today. Uh, Japan intervening, first time in 24 months since the aftermath of the Asian, Asian financial crisis. Could we see another one? Well, you know, it wouldn't surprise you to keep seeing more of those headlines. You know, they they tried to stem the tide of all the flows going against the yen. 
But in reality, you know, they didn't change much. They, they put in some volatility that the yen might appreciate on days they intervene, but they left their monetary policy unchanged. The tenure in the U.S. is rising. You know, the forces driving the yen weaker has been this rising differential of the Fed being one of the most aggressive central banks raising rates, the Bank of Japan still controlling interest rates. So the, the, I see the, the fundamental forces still being yen weak. Um, I, I think they're going to have to continue to intervene. I don't think that's going to change until they change their policy. We'd still say you should be hedged when you go to Japan. You shouldn't be betting on the yen. I think it's going to be a very tough environment for the BOJ. There was a great op-ed in the Financial Times this morning that is titled Global Backlash is Brewing Against the Fed. What's the most extreme scenario we could potentially see if the dollar continues to rise? Could we see sort of a coordinated action taken by these emerging economies to defend themselves from a stronger dollar? You know, I, I think they're going to wait to see the end of the cycle. I think we're closer to the end than they are, we are the beginning. Now, and of course, that means inflation actually has to come down and they have to start seeing it come down. Uh, but I think even that's Japan's policy is that they feel like they can't do enough to stem the tide on the central bank policy. So they're just waiting six months to see sort of the, the, the last few hikes from the Fed and then they might change their policy. It'll, you know, co coincide with Kuroda leaves uh, as, as sort of a new governor. Um, but I think it's tough because the Fed is raising rates aggressively. And, and now you're seeing some of the other central banks like the ECB mm -hmm. trying to play catch up, but Japan is the outlier. I think for global investors, you want to go where their policy is still easing. Japan is that, China is that, the ones that are tightening aggressively is, is a tougher environment. So you're recommending Japan and China. Uh, what, what's the thesis on emerging markets right now? Does it have to get worse before it, it gets better, before you know, we see valuations come down to a point where investors like yourself say now is the time to get in? Well, I think the EM central banks were the early tighteners. Uh, you know, you, you see Brazil as an example of a place that's commodity rich. They, they were hiking more aggressively earlier. Uh, and so they're not, you know, having to do the relative tightness today. Uh, you know, so I think to some extent, it's the, the COVID zero in China has been a tough policy. Um, and that has ripple effects across all of the emerging markets. Uh, but so if, if China can improve its economy next year, po post this, uh, you know, the, 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 the Communist Party thing in a, a month from today, that could be a a useful catalyst for broader emerging markets. Uh, but I do think that the, the EM central banks tightened more aggressively. They took their, their pain earlier. Uh, and that's you know setting the stage for a potential rebound next year. If I want to invest in emerging markets, but I don't want to invest in China, can I do that? By a, via no, a fund or an ETF? Yeah, we launched one today, XC, um, which is emerging markets, X state owned, X China. We have been doing a lot of value and dividend strategies going back 15 years ago. We've seen a lot of interest in those strategies actually this year. They've been inflows into those funds. Mm -hmm. But we, we see ex-China as a way, you know, if you go back 20 years ago, China was only 5 6% of broad indexes. It got up to 40%, which is really a, a big allocation. We think people want to control their allocations to China. Uh, a fund like XC can give you dedicated exposure to China, control how much you want. And we do it with an ex-state-owned approach. We think those companies have, have good governance less running in the interest of the state. Uh, and so XC is a brand new fund, piggybacking the the, the full family of now China state-owned, broad EMX state-owned, India state-owned, and now ex-China. Mm. Second largest waiting, Tyler, after China is India, which is fastly approaching uh, what China has. Jeremy, thank you. Jeremy Schwartz of Wisdom Tree. All right, coming up, the Fed creating a major leak in Kathy Woods's arc.
Higher rates crushing growth stocks, so now Wood is lashing out at Powell. We'll trade some of ARC's top holdings in today's three-stock lunch. Time for today's three-stock lunch. High-growth investor Kathy Wood tweeting her disappointment in the Fed's unanimous decision to raise rates, saying the central bank isn't focused enough on deflation. Most of the holdings in her ARC Innovation Fund have deflated, folks. Uh, it's trading lower today. Uh, and some of those stocks, look at them. We'll look at them today uh, in three-stock lunch, Roku, Zoom, and Block. We're going to trade those names with uh, Boris Sloshberg. BK Asset Management. Welcome, Boris. Let's begin with Roku. What do you think of it? So Roku, I think, is, you know, um, the argument for Roku on, on the bullish side is that streaming is the future. But that tends to forget the fact that there's an enormous amount of competitors in the space, including even YouTube, which now has more minutes watched than most of the broadcast TV. The thing about Roku is that its growth is actually very, very tepid, around 3 to 6% next year projected. And they really got it down because their primary business is advertising. And as you can imagine, advertising is going to be the first thing gets cut when the economy retrenches. So to me, the only reason why Roku is not a sell is because it's a perennial takeout candidate. So I'm very wary of being short the stock, but I definitely want to stand by. I'm not interested in a position at this point. All right. Second up is Zoom. What do you make of the stock? So, you know, what's interesting about Zoom is that amongst all the three stocks we're talking about, it's probably the most profitable, the most mature business we have. And yet the stock has been decimated. It's down 22 percent in August by far more than all the other two stocks combined. And the reason why is because Wall Street really fears Microsoft. Basically, the story on Zoom is that Teams is eating its lunch. 270 million active users, I believe, in Teams at this point. And that is really the case. Wall Street believes that consumer stickiness is very, very low. Enterprise stickiness is very high. And certainly there's lots of evidence you know, to remember that. Everybody remembers Netscape and RIM. There's, you know, uh, everybody is littered with skeletons of uh, companies that lost their enterprise space. And that's really the worry with Zoom, which is why I'm worried about it myself. I don't think this is a good stock. The one I actually think it's, a, it's probably going to drift lower, despite the fact that it's a pretty decent business, simply because it just does not have any chance to win back the enterprise against Microsoft right now. All right, let's go to Block uh, Square, down year-to-date 5%, fairly modest, basically. No, year to date yeah, 65%, you know, and, excuse me, year to yeah, date. No, 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 it, it, it got decimated. It got decimated yeah. very badly. But um, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's, it's down actually 80% off its highs because it had to absorb the, um, uh, the uh, afterpay acquisition. But, but despite that, its core business of transaction processing, both on the consumer side with, with cash and on the mom and pop side on the brick and mortar is actually very, very sound. They did $52 billion worth of gross volume last year. That's 23% more year over year. They're probably gonna double digit that again this year. And more importantly, they're probably gonna do about 6 billion in profits this year um, against a $36 billion market cap. That's a pretty interesting valuation at these levels. If you believe that we're going into a cashless society, which I very much do believe, then they're definitely gonna be a major beneficiary of that. So the stock at this level, this valuation is, is very much a buy. Boris, thank you very much. Very clear answers. We appreciate your insights today. Boris Schlossberg, thanks. Reports out of the SEC could have a big impact on Robinhood. We've got those details next. Draw your attention to shares of Robinhood giving up early gains. The stock had popped on word that the SEC won't ban the practice of payment for order flow. Kate Rooney joining us with more. And Kate, if this were to be true, that would be a big victory, right? 
That's right, Seema. This is seen as a really big win for the brokerage firms, especially Robinhood. Bloomberg reporting that the SEC will let the Wall, let Wall Street keep that practice. There had been some jitters out there about a total ban of payment for order flow, which is sometimes called PFOF. That involves selling retail client trades to firms like Virtue and Citadel Securities instead of having those orders routed to the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. Critics of the practice have questioned whether retail investors are getting the best price on the back end. They call that best execution. And SEC chair Gary Gensler has been among the loudest critics here. He's asked for more disclosure, is pretty skeptical of potential conflicts of interest, and complained of power being potentially concentrated among select market makers. On the other side, advocates argue retail investors are getting the best price and say that's why brokerage firms can offer trading for free, which they say expands access. If PFOF was banned, some have have argued that you'd have to go back to the old days where you had to pay for your trades. Robinhood really pioneered that free trading model, and executives there have told me they didn't expect a total ban, but if it came to that, they would be looking at some other sources of revenue. For context, guys, PFOF made up about 68% of Robinhood's total revenue in the last quarter. Back to you. Robinhood stock trading at right around $10 a share. Uh, Kate, thank you. Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenev will join Squawk on the Street tomorrow morning at 9 Eastern. A lot to talk about there. Don't miss it. All right. Let's take a look at where the markets stand right now, uh, shall we? Just to uh, bring you up to date, can we throw up a screen? There you go. Industrial's uh, basically flat. S&P 500 off by about a half of a percent. But the NASDAQ is the... uh, is the problem child here, as it has been for so many days. Subsectors Seema. within the NASDAQ, the chip stocks, the Chips. semiconductor names continue to be under pressure. We had the CEO of Qualcomm today talking about those softer economic headwinds. So that seems to be part of the story today. Thanks for watching Power Launch, everybody. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.